I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to another episode of History Hack. Alex is not doing the hello today. Why, you ask? This is very important. Lo and behold, she's on with us today. It is an Alex episode. So, just a little bit about her. She, Alex Churchill, is a fantastic historian, specialises in the British monarchy and also World War I, a bit of World War II. And a top secret just for you guys, she's about to do some seriously cool work on South Asia. But enough about that. Today we're going to be talking about the monarchy, more specifically Queen Mary. Talk to us, Alex. This is all very serious, isn't it? It is. It's like proper historian thing. But do you know what? We are proper historians at the end of the day, aren't we? We are. I know we do a very good impression of idiots, but yeah, we, we do actually work quite hard, don't we? We work very hard. And to be fair, we don't hear you talk enough about your research. And then I know you're pushing me to do my kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's next month we're going to be putting some stuff out for me that uh, I have to do some research. Yay! Yeah, and you've got to write me an article as well. I do. I do. And I'm, I'm going away from the Second World War. So help me, people. Help me. I have dragged you kicking and screaming. But anyway, Queen Mary, you know me. This is my soapbox. I really hate the way she's generally regarded as miserable, horrible, a mean mother and um, just not very nice. Exactly. So first of all, tell us, for people like me who know nothing about the monarchy, even though they've lived in England their whole lives, tell us who was Queen Mary and where did she come from? And where, where, she's, where did she come from? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that'll do, because it's a little bit complicated. So she, is, she has a German father, Franz of Tech, but she has an English mother. Her mother is Queen Victoria's cousin. Her mother is uh, Mary Adelaide, Duchess of Cambridge. She's awesome. Every Everything you read about her will be, she was really fat. She was obese. Everybody laughed at her weight. Everyone nicknamed her Fat Mary. She was a pretty incredible woman. She was hugely philanthropic. She did loads of work for charity, constantly thinking of other people. She was just a a jolly happy person um but every description you read of her will have the word fat in it um unfortunately so so this makes mary adelaide i that's probably fucking this up because it's georgian is like a great granddaughter a granddaughter of george the third so that's how queen mary is royal but she's not mary until she's 47 years of old she's 47 years of age she thinks this is hilarious because she's like, who gets rechristened at the age of 47? She didn't get named Mary until 
her husband George V was crowned in 1911. Before that, she is May. Her name is May. Uh, actually, her name is ridiculous. It's really long. It's Victoria's got to be in there and May. And I think there's something weird in there like Doris that makes me laugh or Agnes. She has a huge name anyway, but she is May of Tech. And yes, she's royal, but the thing about her parents is they are they're they're like you with money. They're a nightmare. <laughs> just oh, they just they overspend. They spend what they don't have, and they spend it on nonsense. Um, yes, yep, yeah, that's exactly what I do. So there was a lot of for a royal family. There was a lot of penny pinching in her childhood, and there was a lot of um, cutbacks that her parents didn't necessarily embrace it got so bad at one point that the whole family had to go and live in Italy for a couple of years because it was so much cheaper than living in the UK um to try and do something about the debt um so she was quite sensible about that she's I think as she got older I think May's kind of looking at her parents and thinking oh, you're just idiots um but trying to help she sort of ends up so the problem with May is that the marriage between her parents uh, is morganatic or morganatic. I never, I can never say that word. It Basically what it means is her mother outranks her father in society. Uh, Queen oh. Victoria didn't give a damn. Didn't care, really. Uh, but in Germany, that was a massive deal. So what you see straight away in an, in an era where there's a lot of intermarriage between all these thousands of german principalities and royal families and grand duchies and things like that is that she would have been uh off the market as far as their sons were concerned because they're really stuck up about it um in england not so much and but there's no dowry to speak of either so what you get as she gets to a certain age like her early 20s is the idea that she's probably going to be left on the shelf because she in she doesn't have money behind her there's the issue with her parents marriage and it's just like all this potential that she's got is going to be wasted because she's a good person she sort of inherited her mother's love of helping people and charitable work she's sensible she's got a brain and all she wants to do in life is use her brain she just wants to do something and make a difference um and not necessarily for her own gain either uh, but it, it rather looks like she's going to have to take a, either a, a dodgy looking marriage or be left on the shelf because of these issues but then what happens is uh, Prince Eddie happens who is George V's older brother uh, he's just oh god poor Eddie everyone calls him darling Eddie lovely Eddie he was such a nice guy but he's a drip he's a drip and he's a fool uh, and he's not very bright and he's sort of inherited his father's love of of Going women. off with the wrong women, yeah, and getting himself into trouble, and there's some potential STDs, and and basically they decide that they need to get him married off. Well, they end up with three choices at one point. They end up with three choices. They can either send him on a grand tour of Europe, which his dad's like, no, I know what I did on those grand tours of Europe, no way. Uh, so, and then the other option is send him on a tour of the colonies, and to which his mother's like, I want my baby that far away from me. Uh, and also as well, he'll get up to exactly the same stuff, but he'll be further away when he gets into trouble. Or they find him a wife and get him married off. And what they do eventually is decide on May and Queen Victoria loves this uh, because they think May will sort him out that's going to be her job is going to be to fix him basically and for her this is brilliant because this is this is never going to be a love match it's 
it's not what it is it's a job offer and it's the most amazing job offer she could ever have hoped to got she's going to make that difference she's going to be a queen of england uh, she's going to get to stick her fingers into all these pies in terms of charities and good causes and and she's going to get to use her brain so really the engagement to eddie is the best job offer she could ever have expected to get but then he goes and dies um, i kind of feel sorry for her i know you say uh-huh. it's the best job offer but at the end of the day we all secretly want to at least have like the love of your life yeah probably but if you're a royal at this point what are the chances that you're actually going to fall madly in love with the person you're going to be expected to marry especially if you're her and there's these restrictions on you as well so i mean you're going to have to look at it pragmatically and say if i want a family and i want children and i want this opportunity to to use my brain and be useful and then maybe love isn't the greatest priority so she was excited she was excited about what she was going to get to do and then he went and died and it all looked like it was falling apart and they didn't just the next day i mean straight away there's some people in the family going well, let's just marry her to george instead now and she can still be queen but she, they both find this very distasteful and it's quite a while um before they decide to go down that road there she goes off traveling with her mum to get over the shock and he he's been very ill and he's obviously suddenly got loads of work to do to get ready to be king of england because he's been in the navy no one's trained him for this uh, so it's not immediate but they do eventually decide to get married and they do in 1893 and they've been married by the time because we're going to talk about the first world war specifically they've been married nearly 20 years when the first world war starts um or just over sorry 20 years is this a love match it grows into one okay well at least i'm not it's... saying too much because i have access i've just before covid started i got into the letters between them from like the days and weeks after their marriage and they are explosive and amazing and brilliant and um i'm going to share them when covid ends with a new book but um until then i'm not saying any more but it grew into very much a love match I love that. I, I want to know. Now I want to know more. I think after this podcast, I'm going to grill you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a threat. Talk to us. War comes along. Obviously, we talk about the First World War. What does she do on the outbreak of war? It's, if anything, the outbreak of World War I is easier for the Queen than it is for the King because he has no constitutional power and there's no sort of precedent for what he should do so he has to go and fashion this role for himself um, and and learn how to carry it out and decide what it entails and to what extent but i we i talk about him all the time and i want to talk about her today for her it was a lot easier so by this point she's a middle-aged lady she has six children uh who are growing up sort of now the youngest one is like 11 um, and the oldest one is the prince of wales who's a nightmare uh, and he's knocking on t- just turned 20 when the war breaks out but he's very young for his age so she's a middle-aged woman and it's easier for her because there's all of these traditional things that people expect women to do when war breaks out like knit socks and sew and collect things and look after the sick and make the men feel better and a lot of what she's already doing charitably can feed straight into that straight away. So she has something called Queen Mary's Needlework Guild, which I think they sort of collect clothes for people, like poor people, and they uh, they help families in need. And, and they, can, they can quite easily ramp up their work effort 
and channel it towards sort of families of soldiers and families of wounded people, people who have lost people in the war, people who are suffering hardship as a result of the war. So for her, if anything, at the beginning of the war, it's a lot easier to suddenly mobilise herself. And she really does. She's so quick. Okay. The next question is that she ends up going to hospitals because you've, the funny thing is you've just said that, you know, it's the whole thing about a woman trying to make her, the man feel better going to hospitals. How does that all fit into this? So they are in hospitals, both of them within a week. Um, and, I, and naval casualties, they, it's immediate. Uh, and they're just sort of, they go, first of all, they go popping out too. So a lot of the officers, um, ended up being treated if they were convalescent as opposed to really sick um there were all these well-to-do ladies living in mayfair with these spare rooms who converted to them into sort of in inverted commas hospitals which really they had a spare room with two or three beds in it if officers were recovering from something they might go and stay there uh, while they got better and they were going to visit them very quickly they branch out into going to actual hospitals uh, there's quick visits to things like i don't know if you know in september of course you don't know what am i talking about it's a (laughs) naval incident where the germans sink three ships with one submarine before breakfast on this day it's horrific and um they go and visit some of the survivors of that that's the hogue abaca and cressy and then they're seeing people from the battle of mon so yeah of course she does hospitals straight away she does it with george v and she does it without him as well so that's another traditional role that you would expect her to fulfill is to go and help tend the sick and she never actually qualifies as a nurse she's far too busy and spread much more widely um her daughter does that but that would have pigeonholed her and as we'll see as we go on queen mary will not be pigeonholed it's like dirty dancing nobody puts queen mary in the corner I've got a really silly question to throw in here. When you talk about the convalescent homes, I'm going to make a reference here and you're going to go, for God's sakes. Is that like the whole idea in Downton Abbey? I haven't seen it. Is that where they just have loads of officers hanging out at their house and playing croquet in the garden and stuff before yes. they... Go- yeah, that's exactly what it is. Oh, okay, cool. Right, okay. At least we're on the same wavelength here. Yeah, so rich people did that at their country houses and they also did it in sort of Mayfair and people converted buildings very quickly as well they went and rented a building like princess beatrice um secured the use of number 23 hill street and used that in her name so yeah there were there were quite a lot of them at first and it was sort of unregulated as well but don't think that they were like carrying out surgery and stuff though they were very much more sort of the convalescent end of the recovery process there are the real hospitals that's a whole nother level of of ramping up sort of production and involvement from people but she visits those as well so back to queen mary uh her dealings with the wounded develop as the war goes on doesn't it they do. She find, do you know what? She finds it hugely, hugely depressing. Um, that she find, Not depressing, that's the wrong word. She finds it a huge emotional strain with these constant hospital visits. Because, okay, so this is what they would do. They would both go into a hospital ward, they would split up, and they would go down one side each, then they would cross over at the bottom, and then they would come back up the other side, and they would try and talk to every single patient. And they're going to places where there are hundreds, and they don't want to miss anyone out. So they're putting themselves under huge strain. She finds that really upsetting. There are so many accounts of her just standing there and crying by hospital beds. She cannot 
bear a lost cause spinal injuries head injuries things like that just upset her so much but she makes herself do it she never she never sacks it off ever but it upsets her hugely to see someone for who there's like no hope whatsoever what she gets really into is the idea of rehabilitation and these institutions that give men another chance after they've seen some pretty horrific wounds. So you you must have heard of Queen Mary's Sidcup, which is where they pioneer all of the facial and plastic surgery for people who've had horrible facial wounds. Um, that she it's named after her because she gave it her patronage. She also loves uh, Roehampton, which is where there's a huge centre there for people who've lost limbs, for getting artificial limbs and training them to do jobs, uh, certain jobs that they would get them ready for so they could have employment when they got back out into the world. Uh, she loves there's a place uh, in Fulham, just near Chelsea Football Club. And uh, there, well, it's been knocked down now, but that's where it was. And there's a plaque on the wall. It's like, it's named after Lord Roberts, the field marshal, um, the old dude. But again, they are training people to get them ready for employment again and give them a sort of second chance at life, whether it be without legs or without arms. Or if they're blind, there's, an, there's a blind institute as well that she's very keen on. So she because she's so productive and she likes to see a solution. Well, I can do this to help and that to help and that to help, and then it will be better. That's what she does well. And so if she can involve herself in something like that, she loves it. The ones where you just have to sit there and there's a, a boy with no arms and no legs and can't move and will never walk again. And that she can't bear. I love her. She's amazing. She really is amazing. I mean, I think, you know, when you say it's incredibly stressful, it would be for any one of us having to look, I mean, for nurses, for anybody who dealt with that at that time. Yeah. I mean, and they're, they're going out daily. They would, at one point, they're going out every afternoon to a hospital. So it's not like she's saying, oh, I'll just, you know, do this once a week or once a month. Or... Oh, no, no. Daily. Every day of the week. Or not weekends, generally. But on Christmas Day 1916, they didn't go to Sandringham. And that was the first time in forever because they love Sandringham. But um, instead, they went to one of the big hospitals and they took the children with them. And I don't think... They didn't have David with them, the eldest, but they had, they definitely had Mary, Princess Mary. They definitely had Harry and George, the two younger boys. And I think they might have had Bertie as well, who that's the Queen's dad. And um, they took a floor each and visited on Christmas Day all of the men on their floor and what they did was they they refused to sort of do it so that you know like if a queen turns up somewhere everything goes to shit because everybody wants to do a welcome party and everybody Mm. wants to introduce her and everyone wants to do the dignitary thing and get their awe in and they would not do it they was they were adamant that these men have been expecting their families on christmas day this will go ahead and we will just mingle with all the other people and i think at the time so george would have been about 14 15 harry would have been a year older year or so older um so that was the first time they ever done anything like that and the men loved them they loved having these sort of mad boys running around and they were singing with them joining in sing songs and I think yeah so that's the kind of thing she did she didn't like to go in and be worshipped there's (laughs) we'll get to in a minute we'll talk about the kitchens later on but there's brilliant stories of when she's serving people food during food shortages later on and she's just like i just tell you now so that all these kitchens are so if you were having trouble getting a hold of food you could take your plate and go and get fed somewhere 
Okay. And her absolute horror when this child wants beef stew and blancmange on the same plate because she only owns one plate, Queen Mary's plate. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so she, she's so hands-on. She really is. She doesn't just sort of smile and wave and do the royal wave thing. She wants to get her hands dirty. So, so far, this whole idea that you've come across that this, this fat kind of overweight lady is... No, that's, her mum was really fat. She's she kind of stout at this point, but she's had six babies. And that she's very... I, do you know what the... You know they have the Queen is quite busty and that. Yeah. She, she gets that from Queen Mary. Queen Mary's like that too. She's quite... quite they're both... They're just like the Queen. I don't think you would say that they were traditionally pretty, but they're they're handsome women. But they're they're bigger women. They're built. They're not frail, meek little princesses. So she's she's a solid woman. Oh, like me? Yes, solid. With yes. a bit of fat. But anyway, we're moving on. No, right. Her mum. Her mum was fat, fat. But it just annoys me that that's the first thing anyone ever says about her mum and doesn't talk about any of the awesome stuff she did. But no, Queen Mary's just normal normal middle-aged woman yeah that kind of thing really really annoys me when people just look at somebody's looks at the end of the day and you know that's that's all they're all about oh i think at the time it was a lot rarer to see someone who was i mean she so she was clinically obese um i just she doesn't look like something out of a horror film or anything but she's a, a very large lady in victorian england and i think that was a lot rarer than it is now no that's very true i agree but um Let's move on to carrying on about a bit more about Mary because everything we talked about so far has been, you know, that traditional role of a woman during war. But I know for a fact you think that she's more of a trailblazing feminist because she was the boss mm-hmm. of the royal household, wasn't she? Amen, sister. Yeah, I did. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> so yes, she wants women. She wants to do the exact kind of work that her husband does. She wants to support the king in everything he does. That's, that is her job as far as she's concerned. And this does not mean follow him around meekly. This means anything that he has to suffer in his role, be it going to hospitals or anything, then it is her job to share that burden with him and make it easier for him. But not in a role where she is subservient to him in fact it's pretty much the other way around so when it comes to things like make so the royal household obviously would try and share the privations that everybody was having in the war so using less fuel wasting less money on laundry things like that getting cleaning bills down food bills down everything and she was militant to the point that if he like, I think he, they were at dinner once, like, and there were quite a few people at dinner and um, he muttered to someone about, so one of the things about not having so much laundry done was that you didn't get a fresh, like linen napkin at every meal. You got the same one given back to you all day. Um, oh. and you, then at the end of the day, it went in the wash and she heard him whinge to someone about it. And she basically bawled him out in front of the entire dinner table, told him he needed to be more supportive of her economising and do as he was told. Uh, she is the boss. Oh, my God. I love that. Because usually when you think of like the Queen alongside, you know, the King of England, she's like this this little dainty lady you know, who, who does what she's told, but no, she's like, she's hardcore, love her. Uh, she's brilliant. Like, the, it's, it's brilliant, brilliant pictures of her where you can see on her face, she's like, don't fuck with me. 
She's got that resting bitch face, doesn't she? Um, I don't know if it's pure resting bitch face or if it's just... I, she was shy. She, um, I think it was beneficial to her at times to put that royal wall up um, and stay behind it. But then having said that, there's just so many pictures of her laughing and smiling with people. My favourite picture of her in the war is... So I've mentioned food shortages and one of the things they did in 1918 was go around and sort of celebrate what everybody was doing for that. So people who were at community gardens where people were growing stuff together. Um, and there was a piggery at Wimbledon where they were breeding pigs for bacon sandwiches. Yay. And um, there's a brilliant photo of some guy. They get, they donated a pig to charity. They gave her a pig and what she did was immediately put it up for a raffle and donate the money to charity. Uh, but there's a brilliant, oh, there's this little man with a giant pig and he's just holding it up. Like it's a baby right in her face. Like, your majesty look at my pig and she's (laughs) laughing her head off um so oh that was another thing about her she had a filthy laugh in her own words her laugh was filthy so she would constantly be checking herself because if she would burst out laughing like that she said it's terrible my 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 laugh is awful so she would try not to just explode out into laughter because she had a filthy laugh look sometimes you can't sometimes it's inevitable and you can't stop yourself for example you do this to me very often but just when i'm taking a sip of something to drink and then it ends up all over my research yeah not sorry ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, but right, so we talked about at home, but what about outside the palace? So I mentioned she wants to do everything that he does. Uh, She is going to go anywhere that he's expected to go. This isn't necessarily, it doesn't mean with him, uh, because not only can she go and support him when he does it, but she can take the load off. She can go and do some of these visits and some of these uh, functions instead of him, um, which cuts him some slack. And that's something you see as the war gets bigger and bigger in 1917, 18. Actually, no, do you know what? I've got a random question. Hold on, before we edit, edit this bit. You know that photograph with her digging? Does that come under factories <laughs> industry? No, that comes under. Oh, that's under food. You can mention that now. So I, I think it was a couple of months ago. You uh, we, we were talking about, I can't even remember what it was anymore. We were talking about something and you, you put up a photo um, up on the screen or I, forget what these things are now and it was a photograph of her digging and I mean, yeah. two, two shots isn't there two different ones i love them yeah this is they turned uh, part of the garden at frogmore at windsor into uh 
potato patch and everybody had to go out and work the potato patch and that included the king and queen but there's these brilliant photos of her doing her digging bit but in like she's got a skirt and blouse on like she's really well dressed but she's like a giant feathered hat as well (laughs) but there she is digging and there's they're brilliant because there's two there's one where she's doing the digging and George Fish just standing next to her with his hand on his hip looking at her like it's either that typical husbandly face of she's oh bless you but you're doing it all wrong um or it's put you back into it love (laughs) and then then there's the other way there's him digging and she's looking at him and it's like he it's like dig faster little man dig faster but no it's great They're, they're both at it they're both helping so love that As in, she's got these amazing photo albums at the royal archives they're like a what a two size probably and she used to sit and put all of her stuff in and label it up and I've been lucky enough to go through loads of them and they were in there so. you are going to put some of these in your book though right mm-hmm. okay that's good just checking just just checking because i know people are sitting there going god please make sure you put some of those in your book oh, i've got so many amazing photos i just periodically go and go through the queen's stuff and uh yeah there's sort of pictures that will change the way you think about george v and queen mary forever well let's move on to talking about well meeting families because i know i know from you talking about this quite a lot to me before in the past we we have touched on this she hates it yeah this is the medal ceremonies so they changed the first of all they changed the statutes for the victoria cross before the first world war they didn't give it out to people who died you still had to be you you had to be alive to get it because it was like a pr thing um and then they changed it so you could get it posthumously and then they changed it so that in 1916 you could if if your relative had died you could go and collect it on their behalf you could you would get a train ticket sent to you because one of the things that he does is investitures so he would by 1916 they've sort of got it down to a fine art and they have two a week where anyone who's due a medal if they're around can go and get it presented to them in person even if they've already got it they hand it back in and then they can walk past the king and have it pinned on them Uh, and he does 95 percent of all victoria crosses awarded in the war which is a lot either to directly to the recipient or to their families in person. So that means meeting a lot of families whose loved ones have died. And uh, that can be quite, and then they bring the children and it's really emotional and it's horrible. And George V, this is the thing he hates more than anything in the entire war is having these men and women, parents as well as wives. I'm not saying this is just weeping females, but basically collapse in front of him, sob in front of him or just, lose their shit and there's a, so she would make sure she was on hand always for these and she would step forward and she'd be by his side when he had to do these and uh, there's a brilliant account there's one young woman and i think she's got a small child with her and she comes past the king and then so before they do it they've sort of given them the protocol like you walk up the stairs you stop in front of the king he'll ask you a bit about your husband you'll get the medal and then you'll exit stage left and go down and then we'll show you back to your seat or whatever and she froze she couldn't remember what she was supposed to do so she just stood there sort of bumbling in front of the king and then she started to sort of break down she didn't know what she's doing so queen mary just walked forward and took both of this woman's hands in her hands and she just stood there and held her hands just kind of in silence with her for i don't know how long it took for the woman to compose herself remember what she had to do or whatever um and said sort of it's okay dear um and then when she 
was okay like finished the the woman was sort of like got herself back together queen mary said to her are we okay now you're right and the woman was like yeah and then they carried on so that's the kind of thing she would do for those she didn't want him to have to suffer that alone because she knew that he hated that more than anything but like her there was no way he was going to not do that part of the job it was like they're both very much like suck it up it's my job i do love her like she could have just stood there and just allowed it to happen she didn't have to go middles is a man thing but she thought because the women were there she should be there too if I'm mistaken, there is a photograph that you've shown me in the past um, of this happening, something along these lines of happening. Was there a mm-hmm. photograph like that? There's loads. Yeah, I think there's one I use quite often that's a VC winner from Passchendaele of um, the little boy. There's a, a, I, I need to nail it properly because I think I've substantiated that there's one where the little boy gets very upset and that the king leant down and kissed him on top of the head. Right. He, he may have just ruffled his hair, but I'm pretty sure, because two different accounts now say, that the little boy got so upset, the king gave him the medal and said, this is for your daddy, and daddy was a very brave man, um, and you, you're the man of the house now, and you must look after mummy, and you must look after this, and that he gave the boy a little kiss on top of the head and stuff. So, Oh, oh just... Oh, don't cry. You're going to cry, aren't you? I am. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking it's just, it's it's really beautiful. I don't care. I will cry. There we go. (laughs) End of story. Okay, well, let's let's move on a little bit because it is sad and I am going to cry if we carry on talking about this. But what about factories and industry? Yep. 1915, they sort of asked the king if he will go out and sort of G up industry, talk to people, meet munitions workers, meet shipyard workers, tell them how much their efforts are appreciated, how they need to put a shift in, et cetera, et cetera, and encourage that. And then in 1917, uh, David Lloyd George asked him, sort of begs him to do it again, because that's when you've got things like the Russian Revolution happening and unrest and people have had enough of the war. Kind of where we are with uh, COVID right now, where people are like, I'm done with this shit, I'm not doing it anymore, I've had enough. Uh, so they asked the king to go back out. And that's no, he's going to areas where they're pretty anti-royal as well. Um, so it's not the easiest job in the world, but he gets a brilliant reception. I think people, because they could see, people could see how hard the king and queen worked during the war, that there wasn't sort of any sense of, I don't need you coming telling me how to do my job or do my job harder. Because you can see from the newspapers that this guy is working his ass off just like you are. So they didn't actually encounter much crap at all. I'm kind of a little bit shocked at the next question that I've got in front of me (laughs) because I was not expecting this to come out because we all know that the king visited the front. Once a year, at least during the war, yeah. But she does as well, doesn't she? (laughs) Yeah, this is brilliant. So by 1917, uh, it's not... So in 1914, it's pretty safe if you stay far enough back from the trenches and the Germans don't find out you're there. Uh, It's not that scary. But by 1917, you've got like the advent of bombing raids behind the lines and things like that. You cannot say that everywhere on the front is pretty dangerous. Uh, you've got a lot of things like uh, hospital, casualty clearance station gets bombed in 1917 and a nurse is killed. Uh, it's, it's not fun in it 
it's quite scary. <laughs> she says, so first of all, they say to the king, I don't think you should go. And he says, bugger that, I'm going. And then she says, well, if, no, so 1916, 1915, he almost died. I don't know if you know that. A horse sat on him. And no. It was bad. Yeah, there was an accident with Haig's horse uh, reared up, fell and sat on him and broke his pelvis in two places. George V was very nearly oh. casualty of the First World War. 1916, she spent the whole time he was there, because he went in the middle of the Battle of the Somme, fretting about her husband and having twice daily, there's a messenger bag that goes backwards and forwards. Um, they come to the door of Buckingham Palace and run the messages through to the Western Front and sort of they go via the war office. So she's getting twice daily updates of your husband has done this 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 and this all day from one of his aides and in 1970 she's like bye i'm not going through that again i'm going with you and he's like no you're not she's like, don't don't fuck with me man. i'm going with you uh, so she does and um she is determined from the very beginning she don't fob me off with hospitals i'm not spending the entire trip walking around hospitals and doing the woman-y thing. I want to see soldiers. I want to see them working behind the lines. I want to see uh, engineers at work, stores. I want to see all aspects of the war. I don't want anything hidden from me because you think it's yucky and you're not palming me off with a girly hospital tour either. So she does. She goes visiting. She doesn't go too near the front lines, um, but she basically, yeah, she's like, I'm going deal with it and the whole royal household was like shit shit what are we gonna do with her and they have to start all this planning there's a massive fat file of how they figure out what she's gonna do but yeah she's visiting um troops behind the line she does do hospitals as well but uh she's going and seeing sort of engineers at work she's going seeing army service corps lines of communication she's really interested to see how an army works and how things get done um so she does her own demands her own way of doing things when she goes to the front and again when they did those visits they were adamant that people don't stop working to do the royal welcome thing i'm just dropping in i'm dropping in say hi and that's it i don't want fanfare i don't want attention i just want to say thank you and how how do you do and what are you up to and how does that affect the war does she play with guns (laughs) ask me that in a minute because you're going to ask me my favourite World War One anecdote. Okay, I will, I, will, <clears throat> I will stay a little bit quiet. Fine. So I think you've pretty much answered this question, but I might as well throw it in there. So how hard did she work? Uh, very, very, very hard. She collapsed in 1917. Uh, she oh, wow. worked so hard. She, when he almost died, she took over all of his work. Um, for a good few weeks at the beginning of 1916 she did all of it he really wanted to say goodbye to all of the divisions as they left for the front so she took over and had to do a few because he couldn't go because he couldn't he didn't get out of bed for two weeks he couldn't walk for months he was never quite the same again uh but yeah she ended up collapsing uh not really allowed to talk about what they diagnose or what not what they diagnosed because it was just exhaustion not what they prescribed for her but she was told to rest she was told you need to take some time off because you're going to run yourself into the ground she'd sort of she got things like just silly colds from being run down and stuff so 1917 for both of them they're both absolutely exhausted does she stop working she doesn't stop working does she no (laughs) of course not i was gonna say she took some time out to rest she probably took about 10 days i think oh wow okay and then she was doing stuff again 
she just she couldn't be idle she's, she's like us if you sit still and stare at a wall she goes crazy oh yes that again start of a very long week yes anyway she shares a lot of experiences with normal women though doesn't she yeah i mean so she has children in danger just like other women and this i don't want to talk about david too much because i'm gonna to have to talk about him a lot in the coming months and years but he so she has a son her eldest son is at war but he's he is protected in that he's not with the fighting troops but he is a constant nightmare for trying to put himself in danger and experience the war properly. So yes, there were worries about him. There were also worries about him because he's incapable of looking after himself as well. He's a bit juvenile when it comes to sort of personal care. Uh, but Bertie, who's later Georgia Six, he was at the Battle of Jutland. She had a, a son with the Grand Fleet, which everybody expected to have massive showdown with the German fleet, and they did at Jutland. Uh, his ship, he was devastated that his ship didn't get hit once. She was not devastated that his ship didn't get hit. Uh, so, but And then Harry was done with his army training by the end as well. As it turned out, the war ended before he ended up actually sort of as a subaltern in the war, but there, there would have been no protection for the third son at all. He would have just been in and serving. And so there was no protection for Bertie either. No sort of special treatment. He was ill quite a lot in the first world war. He had these awful stomach problems, Um, but he was not given any extra safety. He was in the Navy and he went where his ship went. Seriously? Mm-hmm. That's the Queen's dad. Wow. He didn't stay in the Navy in the end because of, they kept having to like evacuate him to shore and stuff to treat him. And he had appendicitis at the beginning of the war. Um, so he ends up in the RAF by the end of the war. And that. But he's, yeah, he's doesn't do his first proper engagement till 1916. He goes to the Houses of Parliament. His first ever engagement on his own was to go to the Houses of Parliament and look at their rifle range that they had in the basement where all the MPs could practice their shooting. Well, sticking on the subject of her children, because she passes down her work ethic to her daughter, doesn't she? Yeah, Princess Mary's a, a little bit of an odd one. At the beginning of the war, she's this awkward, gangly teenager and she's not of age. So she just goes, if her parents go somewhere, like the uh, the trip on Christmas Day to the hospital and um, things like that. But then she's, she does come of age later in the war. So she trains as a nurse. and She works at Great Ormond Street Hospital a few days a week. And she also has her own uh, detachment of other nurses that she runs out of uh, one of the Mayfair houses where their job was basically, this is the VADs, the VAD, and uh, her detachment of sort of well-to-do young ladies worked out where people were going to be allotted and placed and things like that. And then she goes out and she did a lot. So they sort of pick and picked an area for her to specialize in. If you like, she got her own secretary, um, which is essentially she had another young lady to go out with her and chaperone her. And it was actually, this was a very young war widow whose husband had been killed and uh, they would go together and they did a lot of things involving children. So they visited children's homes, creches for war workers, children, things like that. So, but yeah, she's she worked her nuts off as well. Princess Mary. Like mother, like daughter. Mm-hmm. And again, with the if you you can see the family resemblance all the way down through the Queen, past Princess Mary, Queen Mary, Princess Mary. Princess Mary as a young woman looks very like the Queen did. Right. I want to know this anecdote now. 
<laughs> this is brilliant. My favourite Queen Mary World War One anecdote. <laughs> so they go to visit. One thing they would do is go down to Aldershot, um, which is still like a huge army area, lots of training facilities and space for the army to learn their trade. And uh, she was watching a machine gun being fired or she and the king were watching a machine gun being fired and sort of demonstrated and this is how it works and you pull this lever and then it fires and blah 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 so this guy did it and they said oh your majesty the king would you like a go and he's like oh yes okay then so he goes off and he sort of lets off a few rounds and he's like oh jolly good jolly good that was fun and then she's i don't know if she had to put herself forward if they offered but she steps up to have a go <laughs> apparently so she steps up and she sort of squeezes the trigger and it goes like She's like, oh, <laughs> like that. And then all of a sudden she's on the gun and she just unleashes the whole uh, magazine like, like a mad woman and then asks them to refill it again. Oh, that would so be me. Yeah, basically. She did exactly what you do. Yeah, so there's Queen Mary probably with the big feathery hat on again, uh, unleashing an entire magazine from a Vickers machine gun for fun. She is so awesome that I am now a huge fan you're going to get like a Queen Mary hoodie and everything, aren't you? Yeah. So every time we're going to be out now, I'm going to have a hoodie saying um, Queen Mary's biggest fan. Brilliant. It's my mission love- in life to make everyone wear these hoodies. I love her. Listen, Alex, I, I love having a chat with you about history and we've got to do this more often. So thank you. We do. You mean when we stop nobbing around? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant right okay let's go because we've got like 30 people to interview this week we do so thank you very much everybody for listening join us tomorrow when we will be talking to mariana flavia from mexico all about navigation in central america before the spanish arrived it's brilliant so we're doing mesoamerican history tomorrow canoes and how people got about not only inland but at the coast as well so don't miss out on that one don't forget that we do exist on patreon as History Hack, and on Patreon as well, which is Podbean's own version. Uh, Alina and I have had massive fun doing this in 2020, uh, but life's going to change quite a lot next year, and we're going to actually have to go and earn a living, etc. If we want to keep up the regularity that we've been bringing you, and the kind of guests that we've been bringing you, and the workload, then we will need your help. So uh, if you join... There's going to be incentives for joining on either of those platforms. We're revamping ourselves on both of them. So don't forget to go in. You can do as little as a dollar a month and it all goes towards keeping up History Hack as regular as we've been able to bring it to you this year. We are now on YouTube. We are posting all of our new episodes on there and we have our own channel and we are gradually posting all of the back episodes because we have been made aware of the fact that you can only find the last hundred on some platforms. So you can go and listen to your heart's content and laugh at the cartoons and have a great time. So do go over there and subscribe. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.